Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. I love the energy. Love the energy. Well, welcome to Morning Star Fellowship. I'm excited to continue our sermon series today. As we said, we're in the middle of a, a, of a five-part series here that we're calling Together Our Church, Our Family. If you haven't been here at all throughout this series, we've been talking about simply what it means to be the church. And the kind of main idea that we keep coming back to throughout the series is simply this. Church is is not just a place that I go to or an event that I attend. Church is a family that I belong to. Now, if you look at church as simply something to just check off your to-do list every single week or maybe every once in a while, every few weeks, okay, I did it, I, I did my spiritual you know, time for the week, so to speak, or, or you come and go and you actually never take the steps to, to connect with people and to allow people to know you and for you to know people, or if church really isn't something that dramatically changes the way that you live your life, then I believe, and we believe here as, as, a, as a church at Morningstar, that, that you are really missing out on what God created and intended the church to be, what it really means to be the church. And so we're going to look as we begin this morning at our portion of Scripture that's kind of been our main portion of Scripture. We're looking back at the early church and kind of pull, pulling some information from the way that they did church, the way that they lived life together, to help us understand what it really means to be the church. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2 as we begin this morning, verse 42 through 47. This is after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. This is after um, their lives were changed. Peter preaches. Thousands, they say, become followers of Christ in this one moment. And this is what the Bible says this early church looked like in Acts chapter 2. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity." All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We're going to focus on that, that last portion of that last verse. Each day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, I don't know if you've ever read through the book. How many of you have read through the book of Acts at some point in your walk with the Lord? I don't know if, if when you've read through the book of Acts, it's done the same thing to you. But when I read through the book of Acts, I am completely amazed at what God was able to do through this this early church, this small group of maybe a couple hundred believers in the beginning, and what God was able to do through and in their lives. You know, they didn't have the things that we have. How many of you, you know, you, you, you take for granted the technology that we have at times? Remember, how many of you can remember when the internet was invented? I was like 11 years old. I remember they had America Online. They would send you the CDs with the hours, and then you would have like, you know, somebody would call. You would get kicked off the internet, right? Like, you remember this? So when, I don't can remember the technology that we have or, or cell phones. You know, when you can, you don't even have to remember people's numbers anymore, right? You just, just, just you know, speed dial, right? You know, the technology that we have is, is amazing. They did all of this without any of the technology, any of the advances that we have. God was able to do amazing things and spread the gospel in amazing ways through this this small group of people. And so when I read and I read the stories and I see that the thought that always comes through my mind is why? Why was God able to do so much through this small group of people? Why was he able to work through them? And obviously we know it has a lot to do with the fact that they were filled and led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that is always key. That never changes. We need the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. That's never going to change. But 
But the other side of that that I think is really important that we want to focus on today is I believe that they were laser-focused in their mission. They were laser-focused in their, their mission. They knew the purpose that God had given them, and they wanted to do everything possible to be obedient and to live it out the way that God had called them to live it out. And so as I was thinking about this idea of mission this week, I was thinking about how mission motivates action. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you understand mission, it motivates everything we do. And I was thinking about how, you know, most churches, we have one, but most churches, restaurants, they have these mission statements. How many of you know that? Most, most of the places you go, even like fast food restaurants. And so I was looking up mission statements this week because I wanted to see what some of these, these different restaurants, especially some of my favorite restaurants. So I wanted to share a couple of these mission statements with you as we begin this morning. How many of you have been to uh, Five Guys Burgers and Fries? Yeah, Five Guys. Is anybody in here that's vegan? Don't raise your hand. We'll all look at you, all right? Five Guys Burgers and Fries. It's, it's delicious. If you've never been there, you need to go, especially if you like burgers. They're awesome, real greasy. My favorite part about Five Guys, and maybe you enjoy this as well, when you order the French fries, and they put the cup of French fries, and then they just go ahead and take a scoop and throw it on top. You know what I'm talking about? They just pile it on, and, and you grab the bag. They put it in a, in a brown bag. And you grab the bag, and literally like two seconds later, the bag is about to rip with all the grease and the weight of the grease and the burgers and the french fries. And you're, and you're about to eat it, and you're like, I'm going to have to pray extra hard that I don't die while I'm eating this because this is not good for you. But, but you know it's going to be awesome. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what their mission statement is? I like it. It's real simple and to the point. Their mission statement is this. We are in the business of selling burgers. And they are accomplishing, I mean, that is, you don't go into Five Guys and go, you know what, I like a hoagie, a cheesesteak, and a pizza, right? You don't, you don't do that there. They don't have those things. You don't go in there to order a salad. I one time went in there, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to save some calories so I can enjoy more fries. I'm like, can you wrap that in lettuce? And they do it, but they give you a look when you ask, right? It's not a normal thing, right? They're, 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 they're made to be a place that sells burgers, and they accomplish their mission. Well, or how about this one? How about Chick-fil-A? Anybody like Chick-fil-A? So, how, I don't know how all of you didn't raise your hand. Chick-fil-A, Christian chicken. Okay. Um, best customer service in the world, right? Especially for a fast food restaurant. Best customer service. On a side note, um, how many of you love that they say my pleasure all the time? My pleasure, my pleasure. Personal record, seven my pleasures at one drive through experience. Seven. I want to challenge you to beat it, okay? I want to hear the stories. Go try to beat. Have them say my pleasure more than seven times in one experience. Here's the trick, all right? You have to say thank you to everything. Like, just ask for random. Can I get another straw? You don't need it, but just ask them for it. I need another straw. Thank you. My pleasure. Can I get some more napkins? Thank you. Can I get another Chick-fil-A sauce? You already have 20. Listen, I'm trying to break a record here. Thank you. My pleasure, right? That's what you have to do. But if you've been to Chick-fil-A, you know it's like an amazing place, right? They take the tray for you. So, like, we have four kids, so anytime people help you, it's nice, right? You take the, they take the tray for you. They come up and get you refills, even if you don't need it. They'll take your tray back to the trash can for you. You can trade in the kids' prize and the meal for ice cream. So you can just be that cheap parent. You don't want to buy the ice cream. Just get rid of their toy. They don't need it anyway, right? Get ice cream for free. It's, it's an amazing place. I was looking at their mission statement, and it simply said this. We want to be America's best quick service restaurant. Simple. We strive to be America's best quick service restaurant, which I believe that they are, they are nailing. They are definitely doing that. But when you, when you take it even deeper into their meaning, you look at their corporate purpose statement, which I love, it said this. We want to be a place that glorifies God by, using, by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact 
with Chick-fil-A, right? At the core of who they are, they are a Christ-centered company that wants to glorify and honor God. That means that the chicken is calorie-free. Hallelujah, right? Like, it is amazing. And you can tell when you go into the place, right, that, that they are striving. At, their, at the corporate level, they are striving to be a place that honors God, that uses what God has entrusted them with to be a blessing to others. And when I look at the early church, I look at the same type of thing, that they understood their, their mission, that they were directed and led and focused on the mission that God had given them. They were all about accomplishing the purpose and the plan that God had made for them. And we find this mission in Matthew chapter 28. And if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've probably heard Matthew chapter 28. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. So in Matthew chapter 28, right before Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven, he gave some final instructions to his disciples, to his followers. And he said these words, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is Jesus essentially saying to them, listen, I've done my part. I've accomplished my mission. My mission was to come here to die on the cross for sins, not only to die, to raise again, to conquer death, to do this for you, to make a relationship with God possible. I have all the authority in the world on heaven and on earth to give you these instructions. You should listen to what I'm saying because I am the ultimate authority. Here's my instructions to you. I want you to go. I want you to tell everybody about what I've done. I want you to let everybody know, not only here, all over the world, I want everybody to know the good news that is available because of what I've accomplished for you. Teach them, make disciples, baptize them. Teach those new disciples to make disciples and to baptize, right? And, and he said, be sure of this. No matter what happens, I'm with you. You can be confident and know that I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit is what we find out in Acts chapter 1. We see this continuation in Acts 1 of this message to the disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? In other words, they still didn't get it. They still thought that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom. They still thought that he was going to overthrow Rome, sit on a, a throne, and, and he was going to restore Israel in that way. And he said, that's not what this is about. This is not the time, and you're, you're not thinking about this the right way. In fact, he goes on to say this. He says, the Father alone has authority to set those dates, and that's not for you to know. In other words, that's not your mission. That's not, your, that's not what you should be about. That's not what you should be focusing on. He said, this is what you should focus on. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission was plain and clear. Go and tell. Spread the message of the gospel everywhere you go. In fact, most people believe that it's not even simply go. It's as you're going. As you're going, wherever you go, whatever you do, share the message about Jesus. Tell people about the good news of Christ. Tell people about what I've done and made possible for you. And here's the big idea I want us to see today. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're in here today and you say, yes, I am a follower of Christ, then this mission is not a mission that was just given to the early to the church. It's a mission that's for you. That God has invited you to be a part of the greatest mission the world has ever known. This is a mission that was given not only to the early church, but to you and I to be a, a part of. We have a, a part to play. We get to do this together. And so that's what I want to focus on today. How can we live out this mission, this great commission? How can we live this out 
together today. And I'm going to break this down into two sections. We're going to talk about the why and the how when it comes to living on mission. But before we do that, would you pray with me this morning? We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our lives. So, Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have not created us to live purposeless lives. But, Lord, you have invited us to be a part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. Lord, it's not about our talents or abilities. It's about you and your power working through us. So today, God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would light a fire in our lives where we've become complacent. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would understand our purpose in a greater way than we've ever understood our purpose before, that you would let us leave here empowered by your word and your Holy Spirit. Not my words, Lord, but your words to us today. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to break this down, like I said, into two parts. First thing I want to talk about is why we should be passionate about living out the mission in our lives. Why you and I should be passionate about this. And number one, I think first and foremost, the reason we should be passionate is simply because Christ commanded us to live out the mission. I mean, that is always where this should go back to. Christ commanded it. First and foremost, the reason we should be passionate is simply because Jesus told us that we should do this. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't like a thought. It wasn't like, hey, if you feel up to it, I want to use you to reach the world. He says, no, go and make disciples. You will be my witnesses. But as often happens in our lives, we have lots of excuses why we don't do this, don't we? In fact, I've heard a lot of excuses. Maybe you've had a lot of excuses. I've had some of these excuses myself in my life, and maybe you can relate with some of these excuses. Why do we hesitate to live out the mission? Number one, we're afraid. We allow fear to keep us from living it out. We're afraid of of what other people were going to think. We're afraid of maybe being rejected and somebody not responding. We're afraid of, of maybe saying the wrong thing. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to ruin the whole kingdom of God. Anybody ever think that? I don't know what to say. I'm going to say something wrong and it's going to be bad. I, fear sometimes has a way of paralyzing us and holding us back. And How many of you would say in your lives that you've allowed fear to kind of keep you from, from living this out? How about this one? You don't feel qualified. I haven't followed Jesus long enough. I'm a new Christian, right? I haven't, I haven't read the whole instruction manual, the Bible, so I am not qualified to, to kind of share the good news. Or, or this is only for the professionals, right? Those who have been called into full-time ministry, those who have been called to be missionaries to Africa or evangelists, it's only for, for them to accomplish. How many of you ha- have, have felt at times that you're not qualified to be a representative of Christ? Or, or maybe this one, we don't want to be pushy. You know, we normally think of when we think of this, we always think of that one person that stands on like the street corner with like signs and, and like they always for some reason have, you know, fluorescent shirt on just in case you can't hear them screaming with their megaphone, right? And they're like yelling and it's normally not very nice. It's normally like, hey, you're going to hell. Turn or burn, right? And that's not necessarily the best approach and we don't want to be that person. Um, on a side note, maybe I'm wrong, but I have never met somebody and be like, hey, how'd you come to know Christ? I'm like, well, there was a guy that was telling me to turn or burn. And yelling a bunch of other things about how God hates my sin. And that's what convinced me that I don't want to burn. This guy seems genuine because he's got a megaphone, right? Like I've never met somebody. Maybe there is. Maybe you came to know Christ that way. And I would love to hear your story. But I haven't met many people that that's actually had a a positive impact on them coming to know Christ. And and a lot of times we think that's what we think of when we think of somebody sharing their faith. Somebody standing up on a, on, you know, on their, on their box and just yelling at people. That's that's not what it means to share our faith. Or, or this is just another excuse that maybe we have is we're just simply complacent, right? For some of us, the reality is that we're just kind of comfortable in our faith. We're comfortable just kind of going through the motions, living it out, it being our faith. This is my thing. It's a personal thing. And we've got just complacent 
We've got real comfortable. We don't really sense an urgency anymore. We don't see an urgency. Maybe we even think, well, eventually I'll get around to it. I know people that need to know Jesus. Eventually, if the time is right, if the opportunity is perfect, if God speaks in an audible voice, then then I'll I'll, I'll do it. I'll sense the urgency. But right now, it's just not the right time for me. We just get complacent. And we can have all different kinds of excuses, but the reality is if we are truly followers of Christ, the way that we show that we are actually followers of Christ is by our obedience. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said these words, If you love me, Obey my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do what I tell you to do. So how many of you played sports growing up? Played sports growing up? Some of us try to play sports. Still, bad idea, but we, we play sports. When you were growing up playing sports, if you had a good coach, what they would normally do is they would normally have a list of rules and standards for you to follow, right? You need to do these things. You need to keep your, if it's in school, you need to keep your grades up. You need to be at these practices. You need to do these things. And this is what it means to be a part of this team. If you don't do these things, if you don't follow the instructions, then you are not going to be part of, you're not going to play in the games. You're not going to be part of the team. It's understood. There's, there's requirements. You follow those requirements. If you have a job, your boss is probably giving you a job description. Here's your job. Here's what you're supposed to do. If you don't accomplish your job description, if you don't do what you are called to do or, or what you were hired to do, then you get fired, right? It, it, it makes sense. The same is true when it comes to following Jesus. God has called us to do something. He has commanded us to go. And no true, actual follower of Christ should ever take that command lightly. But in reality, most of us, we take it very lightly. We look at it as it's kind of just a suggestion. It's something that we really don't need to do or other people will do it. We don't have to, have to do it. And what I would tell you is this. If you're really going to live this out, it takes intentionality. It, it takes making a choice. It takes being, living on purpose, saying, I'm going to make the, 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 the choice that I'm going to invest time, resources, my talent into making sure people do this. And it's not out of religious, religious or legalistic, like, because we have to. It's not because of those things. It's not out of the obligation that, because when it is, we've seen people who do it for that reason, right? They tell you about Jesus out of, like, a legalistic obligation, and they could never convince you that they actually care about you coming to know Christ, because they're just going through the motions. It's not about that. It's in response to the fact that Jesus has loved us so deeply. He's forgiven us so deeply. He's changed our lives. And we want to be a part of what he's doing to reach the world. We want to use what he's given us to help other people experience the same thing that we've experienced. It's amazing. We do it because Jesus commanded us to do. Number, number two, another reason we should be passionate about this is because the world is lost and broken without Jesus. I think we can all agree, we can all look around the world and, and we can tell that something's not, not right. I mean, if you think the world is great, just watch the news for a couple minutes and you'll realize that it is broken. It is not, it's not great. And, and here's the thing, it's not a new thing either. It's not like, oh yeah, just, you know, the last eight years, everything got broke. No, it's been broken for, for a long time. In fact, it's been broken ever since sin entered the picture in the Garden of Eden thousands and thousands of years ago. It's, it's always been broken because of sin. It's not the way that God had created or intended it to be. If it wasn't broken, then God would have never sent his son Jesus to fix the problem. It is, it is broken. And I believe, and I believe the Bible also would say this, that the only hope for the brokenness in the world is Jesus. It's not more education, it's not more advice, it's Jesus. He's the only hope for the brokenness. The good news of the gospel is the hope. Jesus changes everything. And if we've experienced that in our lives, we know that to be true. And I would say, why would we want to keep that to ourselves? Like, why would we not want other people? If you had the answer, right, if you had a life jacket and somebody was drowning, would, why would, you would throw it to them, right? Especially if you had an extra one. 
You want them to be saved. Why would we hold on to something that we know can change their lives? We let fear and everything else hold us back. Why would we hold on to it? And honestly, I think that, I think that people are hungry. I mean, look at the people that are constantly searching for purpose in their lives. They're constantly searching for, for fame to, to fill those voids. They're constantly looking to, to drugs and alcohol and other things to fill the emptiness and the brokenness, to, f- to fix what's been broken in their lives. The problem is that most people run to things that will actually never give them what they're looking for. It's like they're trying to fit this, this puzzle together that's never going to work. They're, they're, using this, they're trying to fit it with a piece that's never going to fit into the, the spot that they're trying to fit. And they're frustrated, and they just turn to something else that's not going to fill that spot. And then they turn to something else that's not going to fill that spot and not going to fill that, that void. People are hungry to fill that brokenness and that, that anger and that hurt in their lives. In church, we have the answer for that brokenness. We have the answer. God has given us the message. He has given us the hope to fix the brokenness. Jesus changes everything. And the third reason we should be passionate about this is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That always encourages me. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The Great Commission isn't about a bunch of talented people who went out and changed the world. The Great Commission points to the fact that God is in the business of using ordinary, everyday, average people and doing extraordinary things through their lives and their obedience. I mean, the disciples, they were not like some awesome, I mean, they were fishermen and tax collectors and normal people. They weren't gifted speakers. They weren't the best of the best when it came to theology and everything else. In fact, when they first spoke in front of the the religious leaders, they pulled them aside, and this is what the religious leaders said in Acts chapter 4. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized that these men had been with Jesus. See, I think that's what changes everything. It's not about having more information. It's not about knowing all the answers. It's about being with Jesus, allowing Jesus to radically transform our lives and then allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, filling every area of our lives like this early church. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. You may look at yourself and say, I'm just, I'm too ordinary. I'm too unskilled. I don't have, I'm too introverted. I can't talk to people. I can't share anything with people. I just, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at, at reaching out. I'm, not, I'm just not good at it. I don't have what it takes. And I would say that's a great place to be because it's not about you anyway. It's not about your skills and your abilities and how good you are at speaking, how good you are at sharing. It's not about you. And in fact, you're not responsible to save anybody because guess what? You couldn't save yourself. You're just responsible to tell people about Jesus, to share the love of Jesus, and allow God to do what only he can do, which is change their lives. We have this great power, I love it, like in jars of clay, to point to the fact that it's not about us, it's about God's power anyway. I love that verse. I love that portion of Scripture. Listen, and we can be passionate about living out the mission because we understand that it's not about our talents and our abilities. It's about a God who uses ordinary people like you and like me who are set on being obedient and allowing him to work through us, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and he does extraordinary things through our lives. And I think we can all come to the same page. I think as a follower of Christ, we can be in agreement with the why when it comes to sharing our faith. 
In fact, we could have stopped at the first one. Why should we share our faith? Jesus said so. Okay, next, let's move on, right? Like we could have stopped there because that should be enough to motivate us to actually live out what God has called us to do, right? Jesus said to do it. I should do it. I'm following him. He's my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to do it. We can understand the why, but I think sometimes the how is where we get kind of mixed up. How do I actually go about living this out? How do I share my faith? How do I live my life in this way? And so that's what I want to end with today. I want to talk about how do we actually live this out? How do we go about living on mission? And so the first thing I would say is this. We promote the gospel with our lives. We promote the gospel with our lives. The way that we live our lives, it actually matters. If you're truly a follower of Christ. The way you live your life should look different than somebody who doesn't know Christ. The way you post on social media should be different than somebody who, some of you, you just need to take a time out from social media. Like you, you need, like you put your kids in time out, you need to put yourself in time out. Just get rid of your, you're not doing yourself any favors, you're making yourself look like a dummy. All right, stop, just, just stop. Because the way you live your life matters, everything. People look at everything you do, they look at how you post, they look at what you say, they look at how you drive. Some of you need to, you know, like, I understand, all right? I get it. But they're watching us. The world is watching us to see if what we, what we talk about, what we, what we say as followers of Christ, if it's actually real. I read a quote that said this. It said, live your life in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. That's powerful. And it points to the fact that our lives matter. The way we treat people matters. People should be able to look at our lives and see that something is different about us. Our lives should be pointing people to Jesus. You are a walking, talking billboard that is pointing people to Jesus or pointing people away from Jesus. I like how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? How many of you like salt? I put salt on everything, everything. Right, every like really everything. It's bad. Salt makes like we had French fries last night, and they were pretty terrible. They just got stale quick. Salt made them all better, right? It doesn't even matter how bad they just put the salt on, right? It it it's like magic. It fixes everything. Why? Because salt enhances the flavor. It pulls out the flavor. You know what else salt does? It preserves. When Jesus is saying we are the salt of the earth, he's saying, listen, your life should be enhancing other people's lives. Your life should be preserving people from going to hell. The way you live your life matters. What good is it if you're supposed to be salt, but you're no longer salty? It doesn't matter. Then he goes on to say this. He says, you're also the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. What does light do? It illuminates. It directs. It can guide. If you're in the middle of a pitch back black place, right, what do you do? You look for the light and you go towards the light. It's in our lives should be that spotlight that is pointing people to the hope that's only found in Jesus. Then he goes on to say this. He says, so in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone may, will praise your heavenly Father. Not so everybody can look at you and go, man, you are such a good person. Man, you are awesome. You're so nice. No, it's not about this. It's let your good deeds shine out so that everyone can see how good God is in and through your lives. We should be living our lives in a way that shines a bright light on the goodness of God. Or I like how the Bible says it in Colossians 3. It says, since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. 
Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives, teaching, counsel each other with all wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts in whatever you do and say. This is where it gets good. Whatever you do and say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let's just make it real practical. If people are watching our lives, they're looking at our lives, they're, they're looking to see if what we really say is true. They're looking to see if going to church on Sunday morning is actually making a difference in our lives, if being in the church actually has done anything in our lives. How many of you have a job? When you go to work every single day, do people know that you're different just by the way you live? Do people look at your life and say, hey, there's something different about you simply by the way that you live? Are you a, a hard worker at your job? Are you trying to do everything possible to make your boss and your, your company successful? Do you do everything you can to be a blessing to those around you? When, when people are gossiping with each other at the workplace, when people are sitting together talking about how bad your boss is and how bad things is, do you join in with everybody else? Or do you choose to step aside of that? Because ultimately people are, are watching you. And you may never be able to say a word, you may never say a word, but ultimately they're looking at how you live your life and looking to see if it really is true that you're a follower of Christ, even if you're a boss. This applies to you. Some of you say, well, you don't know my job. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know how bad my boss is. You don't know how bad my coworkers are. You don't know how bad my work environment is. And I would say, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, whatever you do, work as it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You don't know how bad my boss is. Paul is writing this to people who are actual slaves. I know your job is terrible, but I don't think it is as bad as that, right? He says, whatever you do, work at it as working for the Lord. Live your lives. Work in such a way that it, it shines a light on who God is. Or how about this? There's teenagers in here today. You, you go to school or anybody else who's in school. Let me just ask you this. In school, do you, do you live your lives in a way that, that draws people to Jesus? When you are in class, when you're with your friends and you see that, that, that person that's sitting by themselves, they're, they're lonely, maybe they're bullied by other people. Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to get made fun of or picked on as well to be a light in their life, to reach out, out of your comfort, out of your complacency to make a difference in somebody else's life? Or when it comes to your teachers, do you go the extra mile to be respectful to your teachers and those in authority? Because ultimately the way that we live our lives, it promotes the gospel to either pointing people to Jesus or it's pointing people away from the hope that is found in Jesus. And here's the great thing. When we live our lives in a way that promotes the gospel, it opens the door for people to ask this question. Why are you the way you are? Why do you live your life this way? Why do you treat people the way you do? And when people ask that question, it leads to the second way we live this out, which is that we proclaim the gospel with our mouths. We proclaim the gospel with what we say. In the Bible, in 1 Peter 3, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, our lives should ultimately promote the gospel. But when God gives us the opportunity because of the way we live our lives to proclaim the gospel with our mouths, we have to be willing to take it. We have to be willing to share the good news about Jesus. We can't just live good lives and just expect that people are going to put the dots together. They must be a Christian. No, because people don't assume that. When it gives us an opportunity, we have to be willing to share the hope we have. In Romans chapter 10, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? 
And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. In verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. We have to be willing to share the hope that we found. Now, I would encourage you, that means knowing what the gospel is all about. Right? It's, about, it's about knowing what the message of the gospel. God is, is, loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place for our sins. He, he not only died for our sins, he rose again. He took our place. We become righteousness in God because of Jesus. It's, a, it's about knowing the gospel. That's an important part about it. But let me just say this. It's also about learning to share your story. Right? You want to proclaim the gospel with mouth, learn to share your story, what God has done in and through your life. If you've been forgiven and freed, if you've really experienced God's change in your life, then you have a story to share. I love this story in John chapter 9. I'm not going to read it all, but there's a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus heals this man that was born blind. And in John chapter 9, you know, he comes up to this man who's, who's begging. He can't survive on his own. He can't take care of himself because he was blind from birth, and he's begging and Jesus does something great. The reason I always like this story is because of the way he heals him. He didn't simply just put his hand on the guy's eyes or just say, you're healed, whatever you can see. He actually spit in the ground, makes a little mud pie, and puts it over the guy's eyes, and then tells him to go wash, which is a nice thing to do when you spit in somebody's face, right? Like, go wash your eyes out. Go walk with all this mud all over your face. Go walk, and, and once you do this, you're going to be able to see. So the guy does it. He washes. He can see. Everybody knows that he's now healed. Everybody's rejoicing with him. The re religious leaders see him, and they're upset because Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day. He broke their rules. And so they, they look at this man, and they're like, you need to tell us what really happened, because we think Jesus is a sinner. There is no way that he, not only that, but he broke our rule. He healed on the Sabbath, so we definitely know he's a sinner. So you need to tell us what really happened. And I love his response in, 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 in John 9, verse 25. He says, I don't know whether he is a sinner or not, the man replied, but I know that this, I was blind, and now I can see. I was blind, and now I can see. He didn't have all the right theological answers. He didn't win an argument with them. He didn't do any of that. Here's the thing I would tell you. You're not going to ever argue somebody into a relationship with God. But they can't argue with the story of what God has done in your life. Right? The proof is in the pudding, so to speak. If your life is different, and you're not the same person you used to be, there, there is no argument with what God has radically done in your lives. This is the man's story. He says, look, I don't know all about Jesus, but I can tell you this. Before I met him, my life was terrible. It was dark always since birth. I never seen anything. I never, I never knew what a mountain looked like with the, with the sunshine. I never knew any of that stuff. But then I met Jesus. He spit on the ground. He made some mud, told me to go wash, which is a nice thing to do. And when I washed, all of a sudden I could see. I was blind, but now I see. That is your story. Who were you before Christ came into your life? My marriage was broken. I was addicted to this sin. I never found hope. But then I met Jesus, and he changed everything. I was blind but now I see that is our story that's powerful you have a story to share you have a story to tell so be willing to proclaim the gospel with your mouth and then lastly how do we do this together how do we live out this mission together we the church we live out the gospel by loving one another pastor John talked about this a lot a little bit last week but Jesus said these words in John chapter 13 he said your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples the way we love each other, it shows the world that we belong to Jesus. It shows the world that we're actually different. I like in Romans 12 how it takes it a little step further. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Because it's easy to kind of be fake, isn't it? It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy 
But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. The early church was great at this. I mean, this is what they did. They had meals together. They, they hung out together. They laughed together. They cried together. They sold things and used the money to take care of each other. They, they lived this actually out. They actually loved each other. And the world around them was in all of the way that they treated each other because it just wasn't normal. And the way that we love each other and treat each other should be, should be different than what people see in the world. It should be different. People should be able to come in here and sense the presence of God. That's why we, when we were developing our core values and we were talking about what's so important to us, one of the core values was that we wanted to be here for others. We wanted to be an outward-focused church because we want to be a, a church that strives to honor each other. We want people to come in here on Sundays and, and we want them to see people using their gifts, talents, and abilities to serve one another. We want them to, to pull into our, past our parking lot and see somebody out there waving at them and go, what's wrong with these people? Why are they dancing out in the parking lot? Why are they excited to be up early on a Sunday? What's in their coffee, right? We want them to know that there's something different about us. The moment they walk in our doors, the moment they drive past our parking lot, we want them to sense God's presence. We want it to be real and tangible. That's why we encourage you to be a part of it and not just show up on Sundays. That's why we encourage you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities to serve here, to serve throughout the week, because we want people to, to see there is something different about us by the way we love each other and the way we love our world. That's a powerful, a powerful thing. This is what's so awesome. We get to do this together. It's not like when Jesus left the earth, he said, okay, Peter, go and reach the world. Peter had been like, I'm going back to fishing. All right, that is way easier. You can send all the helpers you want, but I cannot do that, right? Just go. He said to a group of people and to a group of us as a church, it's not just my responsibility. It's not just your responsibility. It's not just Pastor John's responsibility. In fact, as, as pastors, the Bible says our responsibility is to live this out as well, but is also to empower you and encourage you to do ministry. Our job is to give you opportunities and empower you to actually live this out. That's our responsibility. That's the direction that God has given us. And, and leadership is to do that, to empower you, to equip you for works of ministry. We do this together. Every single one of us has a, a part to play. And the amazing thing happens when every single one of us begins to use our gifts, talents, and abilities. And we begin to, to do this together and we're passionate about God moving in and through us. God does amazing things. We see it all throughout Scripture. As we close this morning, I want to read one last portion of Scripture. and You can stand as we close. I'm going to stand for a moment here. I want to read one last portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. And then I want to give us a couple action steps as we leave this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. begun. This, is, this is for us. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. It says, all this is a gift from God who has brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we might be made right with God through Christ. I love those verses because that verse, those verses are the message of the gospel. That we have been reconciled to God. Do you understand what that means? That your relationship between you and God was broken beyond repair. There was absolutely nothing you could do on your own. You couldn't, you know 
live a perfect enough life, do enough good stuff to overcome the wrong stuff you've done. There was nothing you could do to bridge the divide between you and God. So he sent Jesus to do it for you. He died in your place for your sins. You become a new creation. He took on your sins. The Bible says we, we replaced our sin for his righteousness. But you haven't been reconciled to God simply so you could just enjoy being reconciled to God. I'm just going to live and just hope Jesus comes back tomorrow. We're going to have Bible studies and sing kumbaya and not going to care about the world that's around us because I've been reconciled. He says, no, you've been reconciled to reconcile. You've been reconciled to be a part of other people being reconciled. And he says these words. These words are powerful. He says, you are Christ's ambassadors. I don't know if you've ever thought that as a follower of Christ, but those are cool. That's cool words. You are Christ's ambassadors, right? You are the messenger of the king of the world. You are Christ's ambassadors. That's why every single week we give people the opportunity to come to know Christ here. Because ultimately what we do here on a Sunday morning is kind of like a big net type of opportunity. We want this to be a place where people come and see who Jesus is. We want them to have the opportunity to come here every single week and experience the love of Christ. We want them to see how we love each other, how we treat each other, how we serve each other, the way that we, we react and we celebrate together. We want people to experience that every single week. But ultimately, if it's only about here, coming and seeing, and, and it's not about going and telling, it's not about you leaving here, understanding that you have been called to be an ambassador of Christ, then what we do here on Sunday mornings is kind of pointless. It really is. Because the impact that we have here is great, but the impact that we make when every single one of you who's a follower of Christ leaves here every single week understanding that, that you bring the gospel message with you everywhere you go. As you go, you're Christ ambassadors. In your workplace, you're Christ ambassadors. Everywhere you go, every person you come into contact with, you are a walking, talking billboard to the goodness of God. You have a story to share, to, to, to share with people. You have a, a story of, of hope that, that, that God has given you that you can share with the world. And we leave here as ambassadors of our King. So let me just challenge you today, as ambassadors of Christ, live like Jesus this week. Understand that the world is watching to know if this is real or not. The way you react, the way you react to that person that cut you off in your car, Christ ambassadors. The way you react to the grocery store when there's only one lane open and 400 self-checkouts, Christ ambassadors. The way you look at the 40 carts sitting around the parking lot, that everybody else just leaves there and you go ahead and do the same thing. You're Christ ambassadors. Everything you do and say should be pointing people to Jesus. So live like Jesus. And when people understand and want to know what's different about you, be willing to share your story. Be willing to share what God has done in and through your life. And then let me say this too. I want to encourage you to be a bringer. What I mean by that is be the type of person that every single week brings somebody to church with you. When somebody asks, hey, what's different about you? I'm like, you know what? Let me share my story. But also let me invite you to see it firsthand. Let me invite you. You know, we have these spots outside in the parking lot with cones. They're not just for you who show up 30 minutes late for church. They're actually for people who don't know Jesus, who we wanted you to bring with you every single week. We want to give them a spot in the front. We want them to know from the moment they pull in our parking lot, we've been preparing for them and thinking about them. When you go out there and you see cones in the parking lot and spots that still don't have people there, let that be a constant reminder that we got work to do. We have people to reach. Be a bringer. Listen, bribe somebody if you have to. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do that, right? Offer them free lunch. Tell them you'll bring them to breakfast, lunch. You'll give them free food. Whatever you got to do, bring them here with you so that we as a church family can model the love of Christ for them and we can allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives as well. Our prayer team, if you want to come forward today as we close, we're going to worship together. And as we said, every single week we give an opportunity to do this because we believe strongly in what we do here. 
And we know that every single week there's people that come in these doors that don't yet know Christ. You are why we exist. We believe that God has called us to be a lighthouse in the community, to be a light shining people in Christ. And, and we want you to know if you're here today, it's not an accident that you're here. If you're far from Christ, you've never accepted Christ, you've never opened your heart to Him, we want to give you an opportunity to do that before we close today. So if you're here today, and you've never made that decision today, and you say today is the day, you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to start that relationship with Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if there's anybody in here today, we want you to just raise your hand so we know we're praying with you before we close. Anybody in here who today would say, yes, I want to make that decision to follow Christ. I'm looking around for a second. It's hard to see. If you make that decision today, we want to encourage you to fill out one of those connect cards. Let us know so we can get you some information, so we can be praying with you. I would encourage you to come up and pray with one of our prayer partners as well. Let them pray with you. But if you're in here today and you are a follower of Christ, would you take that challenge today? If you say, you know what, I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to understand this week that God has given me a job to do. I understand that I'm, would you just raise your hand with me today and say, you know what, I'm going to take the responsibility that God has given me. I understand that I have a part to play, that God has given me a responsibility, that he's invited me to be a part of this mission. And as we worship today, would you just worship and proclaim that you're going to live this out. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to challenge us, to, to reach in our hearts, Lord, that you would show us the the mission that you've given us, Lord, that we would take seriously the call that you've given us to go and to tell, Lord, to invite other people to experience the life that only you offer, Lord. I pray that we would be passionate about the purpose that you have given us, Lord. Lord, I pray that this would not be a, a normal week, a status quo week, but God, you would use us this week. You would use the way we live and the way we speak, Lord, to bring people to you. I pray that, Lord, there would be testimonies and stories of lives that are changed this week through the lives of the people that you have sent from this place as your ambassadors. Jesus, then we pray. Amen.